My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Dan Pink is the author of five New York Times bestsellers, including his latest, The Power of Regret. His other books include the New York Times bestsellers, When and A Whole New Mind, as well as the number one New York Times bestsellers, Drive and To Sell as Human. Dan's books have won multiple awards, have been translated into 42 languages, and have sold millions of copies around the world. Dan also hosted and produced Crowd Control, a TV series on the National Geographic channel that aired in more than 100 countries. He hosts a popular masterclass on sales and persuasion, and he appears frequently on NPR, PBS, ABC, CNN, and other TV and radio networks in the U.S. and abroad. He has been the contributing editor at Fast Company and Wired, as well as a business columnist for the Sunday Telegraph. His articles and essays have also appeared in the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, Slate, and other publications. Before venturing out on his own 20 years ago, Dan worked in several positions in politics and government, including serving as chief speechwriter to Vice President Al Gore from 1995 to 1997. He received a BA from Northwestern University and a JD from Yale Law School. I hope you enjoy learning from Dan Pink today, because I always do. Dan, it's so great to connect today. I've been teaching students about your work for almost a decade now, so I'm really grateful for the chance to chat today. I am so glad to be here talking with you, and I'm glad that you um, have been teaching your students for the last decade from the stuff that I've done. That might keep me in the writing business a little bit longer. Well, you've done so much great work, and as you think back on it, the books you've written, the research you've conducted, what lessons would you most like to pass on to others? You know, I'm not sure if any of the lessons I want to pass on to others come directly from a book. I think that they actually, the lessons that I most like to pass on probably come from my own lived experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that the first one, and it's a lesson I'm even now in my advanced age still trying to learn and remember, is just get started. Uh, I think a lot of times, just do the work. A lot of times when we, a lot of times we think, we 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 sit around waiting for the perfect time. Oh, I'm I'm going to write a book, but I got to wait until such and such a time to do it. Or God, I'm going to start writing when I feel motivated. Or I'm going to start this project, um, you know, as soon as the conditions are right. And the conditions are very rarely ever perfect or right. And a, a lot of times, the best way to find motivation to do something is just to get started, just to yeah. do something. Um, I've sort of changed my view on that. In that. Um, you know, that you have to kind of th- this this view that I think we've had that that you have to be motivated in order to act when, in fact, I think that actually acting creates motivation. So uh, so just get started. Uh, and even if you have to embed it in a structure, that's good, too. And that's a lesson I've learned from writing. Yeah, I think that's such a good lesson. And in the leadership class that I've been teaching, we've been talking about authenticity. So it's a very popular term right now, you know. And there, you know, it, it can get a little complicated because people define authentic in multiple ways. But one of the lessons that I've learned from Jeff Effer, a uh, professor at Stanford, he says, as a leader, don't be authentic. That's the last thing you need to be. Because if you're tired, you, you don't want to tell everybody you're tired. If you're if you don't know what to do, you don't want to tell everybody you don't know what to do. What you need to do is not be authentic. Do what the job requires. And it, it's a little bit like th- this idea of like if I don't feel like like writing, but I'm an author. I, I gotta write. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. But I, I like I'm gonna see you and raise you just a little bit. 
on that because if you don't feel like writing, but that's your job and you show up and write, by doing that, in many cases, you will feel like writing. Yeah. That is, you, you see what I mean? Like, like it's some, and this is something I learned the hard way that we we have the 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 sequence reversed in some in some in some ways. I mean, this is you know I'm gonna quote the. You know, I know that you're a sports fan and I'm a sports fan too. The, the person who said this best, better than anybody else is Julius Irving, um, who said that that being a professional is doing what you love to do, even on the days you don't feel like doing it. And I I, I can't I can't emphasize that anymore. And and, and for me, so let me give give you some some concreteness to this, Nate. So the way that I do my writing, um, if I decided that I was going to write when I felt inspired. When I felt in the mood, I would never write a word. Yeah. Instead, when I'm writing something, whether especially, I mean, for longer things like a book or a long article or anything like that, I have a schedule. I show up in my office. I show up in my office at a certain time. I do not bring my phone with me. I did this this morning. I did not bring my phone with me into the office. I give myself a usually a word count, sometimes sort of a another kind of criterion, but but usually a word count. And I do not do anything. I don't check email. I don't um, watch ESPN highlights. I don't do anything until I hit that number or hit that deliverable. And then I'm liberated to, to, um, to do something else. And then you do it again and again and again and again. And there, I would say there are many days, maybe even the majority of days when you know, writing is a pain in the ass. So I don't really like, you know, it's like, oh my God, I got to think of something. I got to sit here. I got to stay still. Um, but that's my job. And so, but, but once I show up, I start to feel like writing. And I, and, and to me, no one ever told me that. And I wish someone had told me that, um, you know, when I first got started, because it took me honestly a while to figure that out and to put it in practice. I've been teaching a version of this lesson for several years now, but I don't, th I don't feel like I've ever been able to connect it in a great way to the students. Cause I've been approaching it from a psychological perspective. And so what I'm going to do now is use your example in my class. So, so what I teach students is I, I say, what comes first are attitudes or behaviors. And, and you know, this from all the research in psychology, and we think our attitudes come first, like, Oh, I want to write. And then my behavior is I will go right. And the example you're pointing out is, no, so often it's our behaviors that shape our attitudes. Once we start writing, then all of a sudden we start feeling like, oh yeah, this isn't so bad. But it's it's that behavior that so often comes before the attitude. And I think that just as a insight into how the world works and how human beings function, I think it's it's fascinating because our intuition, exactly as you say, is that the sequence works like that. That the sequence works basically. I got to feel this way, and then I'm going to act. When in fact, you can act your way into feelings. What's more, this actually works at a higher level. It works at a level of beyond the level of individuals. It works at the level, I think, of organization. It works on the level of, of, of groups in general. You see it in some, like, this is my view about, about religion. You, you know, th there's this notion that in religion or, or even in sport, among sports fans that um, communities create rituals. When in fact, actually, rituals create communities. Yeah, uh, and, and so, um, and, and I think that's just a fascinating insight in and of itself. But I think you can take it and say, what can I do to establish the behaviors, 
and the rituals and not wait around until I feel right. Because chances are you're never going to feel right. But the dirty little secret, once again, is that if you act, you often will feel like doing what it is you love to do. Well, the tagline for this podcast is simple, practical, and underappreciated. And I think this lesson just absolutely nails it. Just get started. And so often that will help you accomplish what you need to get done and, and change your attitudes. Don't wait till you feel like doing something to act. Act, and then in most cases, you'll feel like doing it. Yeah, excellent. Any other lessons you'd like to pass on, Dan? Well, I mean, I mean, that's a very kind of uh, uh, you know practical, productivity-oriented thing. The other, the other lesson that I would um, convey is a maybe a broader lesson, which is that is really just to in almost every interaction you have in any fashion is to start with generosity. Um, you know, that your first move should be generous in any kind of encounter and any kind of dealing. I really do believe that there are that, first of all, I think it's easier. I think you feel better doing it as well. Uh, but I also think there are massive returns to to generosity. It doesn't mean that you should be generous with every person. I think some people will prove unworthy of generosity. But most people won't. Most people actually are worthy of your generosity. And so if you sort of have your default setting is my default setting is to be generous, not to be stingy, to be generous. And I, I think that that is, a, is just a better way to live. It reminds me a little bit of this saying, when you smile, the whole world smiles back. As cheesy as that is, I mean, there is there is something to that. I think that in, in, there's certain kinds of attitudes uh, and, and even certain kinds of professional training that goes against that. So, so if you look at like people who are trained as lawyers, lawyers are not trained to begin with generosity. Lawyers are begin to are are trained to begin with skepticism and distrust. And I don't think that that is. I think that is is neither healthy nor. Uh, uh, effective. That said, just a reality check. Sometimes you do have to be skeptical in life. You do have, not everybody deserves your generosity, but I think that you're, you think of it as a default setting. Your default setting should be to be generous. And sometimes you have to switch off the default, but the default should be generous. You know, it reminds me a little bit also of Robert Cialdini's work in reciprocity, right? Just one of the most kind of, I think, underappreciated aspects of human psychology is when we're nice to people, they want to be nice back to us. So one, it just makes us feel better when we're nice. And two, when we're generous, people tend to be generous back. I was just thinking of an experience I had last week. I rented a car in uh, California. I I'd reserved a car five months ago. I show up to the car rental counter and I'm literally one minute late and they've shut down. So I can't get the car. So I'm, I'm calling people and I, I'm not leading with generosity. <laughs> and the, the people... On the other end, uh, you know, they, they took the brunt of my frustration and they said, you know, tomorrow you need to come back and get the car. They didn't pass that message on to the people at the desk who were working the next day. So when I showed up the next day, the people at the desk were like, nobody ever told us. And I'm convinced that had I been more generous with the people on the phone the night before, they would have watched out for me. And now this is a very kind of selfish reason for why we should be generous. Uh, and, and I think I would have gotten much better results with being generous. It doesn't mean we, like you say, are, are generous with everybody, but I love the idea of start with generosity and just watch all the good things 
that are going to happen compared to when we don't start with generosity. I, I agree. I agree with that. The one, the one, the one um, tweak on that would be that um, don't, don't keep a ledger in your head saying, Oh, I helped Fred and I helped Maria and Fred helped me again, but Maria didn't. I just think that just, you know, keep an eye out for people who are jerks and avoid them at all costs and don't help them out. Uh, but it doesn't have to be this, you know, sometimes when we think about reciprocity, we think about kind of a, a balance sheet between two yeah. individuals where the assets and liabilities have to weigh. And, and it doesn't, I, I just think that sort of, if, if you, you know, if, if you give more to the universe, I mean, forgive me for being woo woo here, but if you <laughs> give more to the universe, than then you receive, you're going to be fine. One of the happiest moments of my life, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I, I still remember it was so memorable. Uh, my wife and I had read this research about couples who, uh, if if you ask each couple individually how much they contribute to the housework, the numbers will sum to more than 100%, right? Right. And so we did it, and our numbers summed to 95%. And both of us thought the other was doing more than what they said. And it was just like, it was so great in that moment. And we had talked when we got married, like, let's do our very best to not keep track. Let's not keep score. Let's not have, yeah, the, let's just yeah. try to help each other out. And I think that helped because in that moment when we summed it up, I was so happy to see that we were less than hundred uh, percent. It's a great story. I mean, and I, and I think that the, yeah, that there, there are people out there who are keeping track, who are essentially looking at every encounter with another human being as a transaction yeah. And that at the and at the end of the quarter, you have to reconcile and make sure that you're not in a deficit. That, that's 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 not a, that's not a good way to live. I think the, yeah. the better the better thing to do is be generous with most people and excise the total jerks out of your life. Well, Dan, I love these lessons. And I was I was telling you before we hit record that uh, when I ran into Al Michaels one day, it was so fun to talk to Al and hear his voice. It's like, oh my gosh, that's Al Michaels. And I've been listening to your videos and your research for, like I said, almost a decade now that I've been sharing with my students. And it's so fun to hear your voice, Dan Pink, in my head. Uh, love these lessons. So great to connect today. And I just look forward to continue learning from you as I read your books and continue listening to your talks. Nate, I'm just happy that anybody listens to my voice <laughs> at this point. So I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. I love Dan's lessons. First, just get started. So often we want to wait for the perfect time or conditions to do something. But in reality, the best way to find motivation to do things is to just get started. Acting creates motivation. If you don't feel like writing, start writing. And then you will feel like writing. If you don't feel like exercising, start exercising. And you will feel like exercising. Our intuition reverses the sequence. We think we have to feel a certain way to act, when in fact, we can act our way into feelings. Second, start with generosity. In almost any interaction you have, lead with generosity. It makes us feel better. And there are also massive returns to us. If we make our default setting to be generous, we may have to switch off the default for some people, but most people are worthy of our generosity. In summary, just get started and lead with generosity. Simple ideas, please take them seriously. Nate Mickle here with two requests and one suggestion. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox each week, sign up for Nate's notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. 
And now a suggestion. If you're like me and want to remember all of the lessons shared in previous episodes, visit the list of lessons page on my website, natemickle.com, to see all of the lessons that each previous guest has shared. Thank you for your support.